Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. That video was a, a bit of a teaser and a bit of an introduction to our series as we're transitioning this week. We're finishing our series, A Big Fish Story on the Book of Jonah. And getting ready next week, we'll be going to a new series, Where Do We Run To? And we'll be looking at the Psalms, and the video had verses from the Book of Psalms, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And as we talk about that, this chapter, we're going to look at chapter 2 again of Jonah, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, but look at it in a different way. But if you've been here, you know that as we've talked about Jonah, Pastor Chip has said that we think it's the story of Jonah and the fish, or we say the whale, it wasn't a whale, but a great fish. But really it's a story about Jonah and God. And in the first half, he's disobedient, he runs as far as he can possibly go. And is disobedient to God. The second half, he's obedient, but he's kind of half-hearted about it. He, as Pastor Scott said, he does the least he can do. He preaches a one-sentence sermon in order to convert this great town of Nineveh with more than 100,000 people plus animals, as chapter 4 tells us. And so he, he fails on both counts. He fails on all counts. And we see in his journey his relationship with God and, and the multifacetedness of it. I, I don't know if you know this, but you know, pretty much everybody has a Wikipedia page these days. I don't. I think that's a mistake. I guess I'll have to write. Anyway, so Jonah does have one, but it's, it's a little, you know, flowery, right? I have one that I think is a little better. Jonah, son of Amittai from Gath Hefer, professional prophet, spent three days in the belly of a fish and lived to tell the tale. Greatest career achievement brought about the repentance of Nineveh, aka Sin City, the capital of Assyria. Although God uses Jonah in spite of himself, he's a small-minded, ill-tempered, ethnocentrist who thoroughly disapproves of the universal mercy of God. I think that's much better than what's in there. And we're gonna, I'm going to read in a few moments chapter 2 of Jonah, which Pastor Steve preached on wonderfully. And if you think it's fun to get up here, after all these guys have preached this whole series, and I have to close it up? Thanks, Pastor Chip. <laughs> I can do it. So, with God's help. So, Pastor Steve said that the, the great fish represented the enormity of God's mercy and that God's mercy is a, and God is able to take our brokenness and our sinfulness and our rebellion and leave us whole. He can swallow all that up and leave us whole. And it's an image of God's grace. And that's all in there. But there's more. 
there's more. <laughs> it's suddenly an infomercial. Um, and so when we go to our next series, each of us will choose a favorite psalm, a psalm that we've run to and share about that. But I don't know if you realize this, but this chapter two in Jonah is also in that category of psalms. It says that in, um, you know, in the Bible app and in many printed Bibles, before the head of chapter two, it says, a psalm of thanksgiving. I'd never looked at it that way before. And we called this message, Jonah, teach us to pray. That may seem really crazy from what we know of Jonah until we come to this. And before we talk about that, I want to talk about prayer. Because, you know, Gallup says like 75% of us pray with some regularity and differing amounts. But that most of us don't have confidence in praying. We think that there must be some magic in prayer that we're not privy to, or we think that we have to get ourselves together before we go to God in prayer. That's not true. And we have, you know, Pastor Lori's here, and we have our house of prayer, which is a wonderful school of prayer, if you will, and experience a way to, to pray. And I'm going to proclaim, really, that the Psalms and this Psalm of Jonah's are tools that can help enrich our prayer life and transform us from the inside out. It's not the be-all and end-all, and it would be foolish of me to think in 20, 25 minutes that I can shed huge light on prayer. But what I do want to say is, pray as you can, not as you can't. And look to others who can help bring you along the way. If I had to summarize this message in one sentence, that would be a large part of it. So as we look to prayer and we school our, are schooled in prayer, taught in prayer, through Jonah, through the Psalms as we go forward, allow God to teach you. Open up your spirit. And I guarantee you there'll be greater riches. And we, we really need to demystify prayer and just open ourselves to it and go to it. And so this prayer, as we'll say, is, is a psalm. And so I want to talk about psalms just for a little bit, and I know we'll be sharing about them as we go, but this is, this is Terry McHugh's two-minute Psalms 101. So if you're familiar with the book of Psalms, it's in the Hebrew scriptures, we call that the Old Testament. They were written between 1,000 and 400 BC, we think. So they're ancient. They have long been the hymn book and the song book and the prayer book of the synagogue and the church for Jews and for Christians. There is 150 of them. And in the, if you look in your Bibles, a lot of times it'll divide it into five books, five sections. Very often, um, they're attributed to different people, many of them to King David. They come in all different moods and feelings, and we'll talk about that, but there's psalms of praise, of thanksgiving, of lament. A lot of psalms about lament. And there are royal psalms and historical psalms and, and so many different motions. There's joy, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's hatred, there's celebration, there's praise. All of it's in there. And what that tells me is there's no emotion off limits to God. And there are some psalms, there's actually one psalm where <laughs> it says, I wish that you would throw the children of my enemies against the rocks. What? Now, God is not advocating that. But I think God is saying, you can come to me as you are. Oh, 
And I'll help you not stay that way. And God invites us into every emotion. And you know, a lot of times we tend to think that spontaneous prayers are the best way to pray. And spontaneous prayers, heartfelt prayers, Holy Spirit-led prayers, yes. But there's also a place to come alongside words that have sustained people for centuries. You know, the Psalms have been part of worship in the, in the church as long as the church has been the church. More than 2,000 years. And our brothers and sisters, monks and nuns, the Benedictines and others, actually pray through all 150 psalms every single week. And they have seven, what they call, hours of prayer, and they, they together chant them or sing them and let them go deep down into them so that they take root in them. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to read all 150 in a week, but I think if we give you two weeks, you should be able to do it. No? Try one a day. Try one a day. Start, start somewhere. And they are really... Uh, one writer, Ambrose, a, a priest, I think, long ago, said it's like a gymnasium. The Psalms are like a gymnasium. They go help to give us a spiritual workout and help us to um, really be transformed from the inside out. If you look at an older translation of the Bible, King James and others... It often seems to attribute all the psalms to David. Now, we know that's not true. Many of the psalms we can attribute to David. But we learn about David and his, his kingship and his life and everything in First and Second Samuel and the beginning of First Kings. But we learn about his heart in the psalms. We learn about Bathsheba and what David did when he saw her bathing on a roof and wanted her for his own and ended up essentially having her husband killed so that he could have her. And so in, in 2, Kings 11, yeah, 2 Samuel 11, it talks about how God is displeased with David and David says, I've sinned. But when you get to Psalm 51, you hear his heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And so we learn about the exterior life and all that happened with David in those other books of the Bible. But we want to see the interior, the transformative part. We go to the Psalms. And this is a Psalm that if you've been to an Ash Wednesday service especially, you've heard, you've prayed, you've heard reflected on. And so today as we finish out Jonah and go to the Psalms. I'm going to read this chapter 2, this Psalm of Thanksgiving from Jonah. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. 
When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Eugene Peterson, who is the one who wrote the great paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, said that Jonah is a parable or a story at the center of which is a prayer. So let's take a look at this prayer at the center. But first I want to go back to the prayer at the end. Let's go to chapter 4, what Pastor Chip preached on last week. This is Jonah praying after this, right near the end of the, of the book. Oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And only he can make those sound like insults. <laughs> and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a contrast to the, the amazing, beautiful, faith-filled language in, in chapter 2 that we get here. Which one is Jonah? Both. Have you ever had a high holy moment? Maybe you've been baptized. You've been in the waters that Pastor Chip talked about. And everything's new and incredible, and you're thankful to God. But then maybe six months later, you're kind of back in chapter four. And, and God accepts us. That's, so we can't say, which is the real Jonah? They both are. I was having a bit of an argument with Pastor Scott about this because he, he, he's less um, sympathetic, shall we say, to the sincerity of Jonah in this prayer. But it's us. It's us. We go from these high holy moments, God, I'll do anything for you to take my life. Yeah, and not take my life and let it be, holy consecrated to thee. But take my life. <laughs> and there are some commentators that say that chapter two can't possibly be part of the, you know, the original Jonah, that somebody interspersed it to make him look better. I don't agree. And what seems really interesting so chapter 4, that's a spontaneous prayer. It's certainly authentic. This is what you might call a set prayer, a written prayer, a more formal prayer. Eugene Peterson also says that there's not a single original thought in Jonah's psalm. If you look at it, and he did, and he, I'm not going to read you all the examples, but he says... You know, my distress is from Psalm 18 and, and just all these phrases. He connects them to other psalms. And, and Jonah would have known, as a prophet, as a religious person, he would have known the psalms. They would have been part of his practice. And so they would be in him. So why is it when he's down in the belly of the fish and he's escaped from what was seemingly certain death? I mean, you get thrown overboard in the ocean, your chances aren't good. In fact, they're non-existent. Why does he do that? I think it's because he didn't have words to pray at that time. When he was in the depths, the words that came to him were words that he had already internalized, that had already become part of his life. 
And so it might seem in a time of crisis that it's odd to, to go to some formal prayer, some ancient prayer. But it makes the most sense in the world. When, when you don't have the words to pray, where do we go? That's what Jesus did. When Jesus is on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. Paul went to the Psalms constantly. It's peppered throughout all his writings. And so it makes complete sense that Jonah would, would go to this, that, that these words would come to him. Have you ever been in a situation where you just couldn't pray yourself? You didn't have the words, you didn't have the wherewithal, you didn't have the spiritual strength. I've been thinking this week as preparing for this about something, it was a while ago with our son Mike, he's in his 30s now, but when he was 11 or 12, there was one night he called to us and he said, there's something weird with my leg, it's kind of twitching, and you know, we stayed with him, and, and then eventually he went into full-blown grand mal seizure. We had no idea even what it was. And we, of course, we were frightened, we were panicked. Joe called 911. We waited for the ambulance. I think Joe carried Mike down. And we waited. And I, I, knew, I, had, I knew I should pray. Like, I don't know what's wrong with my son. But I couldn't. I just couldn't. But I had a friend named Bonnie. And this was before ministry, before seminary and everything. But Bonnie's the person who kind of introduced me to the Holy Spirit, helped me have experience of, of praying non-scripted prayers, because I only knew the more scripted prayers from my background. So we need both, right? But I knew that Bonnie was someone I could call at two in the morning and say, Bonnie, can you pray? We don't know what's wrong with Mike. And she did. And so the Psalms are a friend that you can call at two in the morning and say, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? And so, this psalm, we, it's a, the prayer at the center, the prayer at the very center of the book of Jonah. But I want to look at it just for a minute as prayer along the way. Now, as I said, it's a psalm of thanksgiving, and that's about 30% of psalms are that type. Psalm 30 is, is that type. And, and so scholars say there's some structure to it, there's components, and I just want to share these with you um, just briefly to help you see that there can be some patterns. And there are lots of patterns for prayer. You've probably heard of ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. But this shows a few components. And so the components are description of the distress, the report of deliverance, and a testimony of, of praise. So looking at the description of the distress, we hear Jonah say, I've gone down to the pit. I'm, I'm in Sheol. The bars surround me. He's sharing what happened. Now, God knows everything, right? Why does he have to say it? Well, because if we don't say what we're experiencing, if we hold it in and we never confess it, it's going to do some damage. It's like whack-a-moles, right? We need to say what our situation is. We need to say our... We need to lament. We need to say what our fears are. We need to say what our brokenness is. Again, God doesn't need to, to have that, but we need to say it. And then the report of deliverance. You, it, it, when you hear in chapter 2, he talks about, God, you listened to me. You answered me. You helped me. You saw me. 
you lifted me up. You rescued me. And he's saying his deliverance, God brought him from the pit. And you may say, well, I prayed, but I wasn't delivered. I wasn't rescued. Well, truth is, neither was Jonah. Right? He's still in the belly of the fish. He doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive at this point. And yet he praises God anyway. He praises God anyway. And he gives a testimony of his deliverance and what he experienced. And I'll tell you, on that night when Bonnie prayed for Mike, it didn't change. He still had the seizure. He still had to go to the hospital. We took him to the doctors, and they couldn't find a cause. They did all these testing, and so they said, well, let's wait and see if it happens again. But Bonnie prayed. And so then a testimony of praise, verse 9 says, with shouts of grateful praise, I will fulfill my vow. I will make sacrifices. Salvation is of the Lord. And then at that point, the fish vomits Jonah out. And, you know, he's probably like, man, that was some bad meat. <laughs> or maybe it was a big amen. He, but he gets it. He's praising God. And so why do we praise God? I remember when I was coming into faith, I thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. I'm just being honest. It's like, is God some big egomaniac? We've got to tell him he's good, he's great, he's wonderful. And it's like, I realized, no, I'm the egomaniac. I need to put God in his place so that I'm in my place. God deserves our praise. And he doesn't need our strokes or our compliments. But we need to acknowledge, just like we need to acknowledge our distress, we also need to acknowledge what God does. And it doesn't always look like what we expect, right? Again, prayer is not magic. And so we need to remember to come to God and realize that, that when we praise him, we can also, and we give our testimony, we can inspire others. Pastor Chip, again, talked about Baptism Sunday. We film the people that are going to the waters, and they're really kind of saying, my distress, a report of deliverance, and then being baptized is their act of praise. That's their story. And that's what God invites us to do as well. And so Jonah teaches us to pray along the way, but he also teaches us about prayer at the bottom. When we hit bottom and all our schemes fail and all our strategies misfire, that's when we turn, we recognize we're really dependent on God. It's easy to say Jesus is all you need until, as the saying goes, Jesus is all you have. And so... Jonah's whole journey is one of descent. He's going down, look. Jonah goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the ship, down below to the deck of the ship, and lying down, falls into a deep sleep. And then he goes down into the water. From the very beginning, it's been this, traject this downward traject tra trajectory. <laughs> He's been going down. And maybe you know what it's like to go down. You know what it's like to feel like you're at the bottom. You know what it's like to pray at the bottom. With Mike, we never knew when he was going to have another seizure. For a couple, two months, the second month, about a month later, one seizure, one and done. We waited. 
And again, we're taking them to doctors, but they weren't ready to put them on medication yet. And there were nights when I didn't know if this was going to be the night that I have to watch my son in convulsions. And so you know where I turned? I turned to Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. I can't tell you how many nights that sustained me. I would read that psalm over and over and over, watching for the morning, hoping to get through another night. And Jesus knows what prayer at the bottom is, doesn't he? Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's with his disciples. He knows what's coming. And he's praying to God. He's saying, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And he prays this agonizing prayer, and Luke's gospel tells us that he was sweating drops of blood, and some people think that's metaphorical, but the truth is there is a medical condition where this can happen caused by his extreme anguish. And so Jesus prays this prayer three times. Disciples, again, are to the side. They're falling asleep. And so he staggers up from his knees, and he goes to his disciples and says, Are you still sleeping? Get up! My betrayer's at hand. And Jesus got up. And for Jonah, in chapter 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up! Get up! Go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. I told him to get up. So there was one night when Mike went into the seizures and had the seizure and got through it and like, okay, check it off the list. Wait till next time. And then he said, I think I'm going under. He could feel another, he could feel, or he'd feel a seizure going on. And my husband and I laid hands on him and prayed. And then we heard him say, I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Now, when we told the doctors that, they said that's not possible. Once a seizure starts, it can't stop. I think I know better. And that said, then they put him on medication, and they, he took it for a couple years, and he grew out of it. But I thank God that Bonnie prayed that I had Psalm 130, and that Mike was able to hear God say, get up. When Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus had died in John, John 11, tells the story, tells the account. Um, it had been, by the time Jesus gets there, it's four days. Now, in that day and age, if, if you're dead three days, they consider you really, really dead. They thought that the, the spirit or the soul would sort of hover around trying to find a way to get back in, but after three days, you're done. So it's four days. Jesus comes, these friends with Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and Martha comes and reproves and Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. And Jesus says to her, he will arise. And he goes to Lazarus' tomb and has someone roll away the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come out, get up! And Lazarus comes out and Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. 
into that freedom. And then Jesus, who's really the true and better Jonah, he's in the tomb for three days. He's in the belly of hell for three days. And then on Easter, God says, get up! And Jesus gets up. And because of that, we can get up and experience that life, that eternal life. So let's look to our get-up God from Gethsemane, the God who calls us out of the grave, the God who protects us with his grace and invites us to get up. There's an old song I was thinking of, Donnie McClurkin says, we fall down, but we get up. For a saint is just a sinner who fell down. But we couldn't stay there. And we got up. Prayer is the beginning of that getting up. That's good. That's good.